Hello, and welcome back to another episode of <laughs> A Helpful Hand in History. This episode takes us to the mammoth task of foreign policy and the equally mammoth-sized Henry VIII. We will chronologically journey through Henry's various achievements and blunders on the world stage, assessing them in the context of his aims. I really hope I can condense this complicated piece of history into a marriage with Anne of Cleves-sized bite. First, his aims. For simplicity's sake, I've come up with five groupings. One was reconquering land in France, then you've got securing the dynasty, then collecting his French pension, expanding his influence in the British Isles, and the pursuit of honour and glory. We'll keep these in mind. But now, let's get into the foreign policy. Henry ascended the throne in 1509 with the legacy of the pragmatic defensive position his father had left him. Henry VII's old councillors, now in the new king's service, encouraged him to renegotiate the Treaty of Atapla in 1510, which brought Henry a pension. Despite this, Henry's true mind was elsewhere. He dreamed of the honour and glory that befell English conquests of France, and he had the means. His father had left him plenty of dosh, roughly 500,000 to 800,000 pounds. And we can see this in Henry's commissioning of a translation of the life of Henry V, the great conqueror of the Hundred Years' War. Thus, Henry joined the Holy League in 1511, an anti-French alliance, and began preparations for war. War would come quickly for Henry VIII in 1512, when he had joined the forces of the HRE in Spain in an invasion of Aquitaine in southwestern France. Or, so he thought, as will become a common theme, Henry's allies did not fulfil their promises, and the invasion attempt became bogged down and led to nothing. Things got better for Henry when he led the invasion of northern France in 1513. He was successful in capturing the town of Ternay and in the Battle of Spurs in August. Henry would play this achievement up greatly. It became his peak moment of glory for years to come. Meanwhile, a more impressive victory occurred back home in England, where a Scottish invasion, led by James IV, Henry's brother-in-law, met English forces at the Battle of Flodden on the 9th of September. It was a crushing victory for the English, which saw the Scottish king dead on the battlefield and Scotland out of the war. This gave Henry a great opportunity to capitalise on the now weak Scottish Kingdom, but nothing much would come of the new Scottish Regency, perhaps only the incapacitation of the country until James V, the heir, came into power. Back in France, the war which held such promise was turning sour. The conflict was costly. Henry would quickly lose all of his inheritance amongst his pension from the French. This led to more pressure on domestic finances, which stirred rumblings of rebellion in Yorkshire. Compounding this, England became isolated in 1514, when the HRE in Spain under Maximilian of Austria and Ferdinand of Aragon made peace with France separate to England, leaving Henry isolated. In the conflict, Henry had received logistical counselling from one Thomas Wolseley, who was now tasked with picking up the pieces. Wolsey delivered, and in 1514, Mary, Henry's sister, would marry the King of France, Louis, and peace would be restored. But this would not last. The marriage would be over in three months because of marital issues. One of those issues being the fact that Louis was dead. England would remain isolated on the world stage as the focus of Europe looked towards the ongoing Italian wars. The new French king, Francis, was young and aggressive, an obvious rival for Henry. Francis used England's political isolation to undermine Anglo-Scottish relations when the Duke of Albany, a French noble, became the heir presumptive or regent of Scotland. This showed that Henry had little influence over the British Isles and served to cement both the Anglo-French rivalry and the Francophile faction in Scotland. The bad news would end for Henry in 1518. 
Pope Leo X desired a united Christian front against the encroaching Muslim power of the Ottomans. To facilitate this, the Pope made Wolsey a cardinal, but Wolsey hijacked the projected deal and brilliantly made London the focus of European relations when 20 European nations, including France and Spain, signed the Treaty of London in October 1518. This was a non-aggression pact, also known as the Treaty of Perpetual Peace. Good relations continued, especially with France. Tournay was sold back to the French, but at an English net loss, and as Charles V ascended to unite the thrones of the HRE Spain and Burgundy in 1519, it seemed necessary to strengthen their alliance. This came in the celebrations at the Field of the Cloth of Gold in 1520, where chivalric extravaganza of festivities was held. It wasn't cheap, costing Henry almost a year's income, but was certainly a spectacle, heralded as the eighth wonder of the world. However, it was a real case of talk, no walk but this time, all celebration, no diplomatic relation. Henry saw an opportunity in joining Charles in yet another glorious conquest of France, signing the Treaty of Bruges in 1521, a mutual invasion pact. In the end, the Treaty of Perpetual Peace lasted just shy of eternity, about four years. War resumed and English forces failed to make much ground. In 1523, the Duke of Suffolk, Charles Brandon, led an expedition to Paris, which promised support from Charles V. This support never came, and the Duke was forced to return back 50 miles short of his target. By 1525, Wolsey was ready to make peace, but then, on the 24th of February, Europe was stunned by Charles V's victory at the Battle of Pavia, where the King of France was captured. Henry immediately set back into gear, thinking now was his time for glory. But Charles, who held all the cards at this time, looked upon Henry's works in France and deemed them paltry. Henry was to receive no aid in further conquests. Embarrassed, Henry sued for peace in August when the Treaty of Moor was signed, ending the conflict. These events marked a shift in England's foreign policy and, by next year, Henry was part of the anti-imperial alliance called the League of Cognac before he signed the Treaty of Amiens where, with France in 1527, cementing their close relations. Despite all these measures, Charles V was undoubtedly in a strong position. This is indicated by the 1527 embargo on the Holy Roman Empire. Henry's embargo was only successful in provoking riots from cloth traders who were slighted by the embargo. These forced the king to back down, serving a great humiliation on the world stage. Meanwhile, the most important event concerning Henry's foreign policy and life began bubbling up in the great matter, his divorce with Catherine of Aragon. The big problem for Henry was that Charles V was Catherine of Aragon's nephew. It's not a great thing to have the most powerful man in Europe against you. The second problem was that Charles, after 1527, had the Pope in his custody. Henry petitioned Rome for a divorce, whose answer came in a long and drawn-out cardinal court. The Pope's position was solidified when Catherine de' Medici, the Pope's relative, married the French heir, or Dauphin, Henry. England was once again isolated, and the only option came to be breaking with Rome entirely. Henry completed this through a series of acts through the 1530s, which shocked Europe. By 1536, Henry was the sole ruler of the church in England, and the country was facing an increasingly Protestant doctrine. This provoked France and Charles V to have a sort of rapprochement, signalled by the Treaty of Nice in 1538. This scared Henry. The treaty was an early sign of what could become a Catholic crusade against England, and this caused Henry to backtrack in his doctrine with the six articles published in the same year. However, this was not enough to stop the Pope from excommunicating Henry on the 17th of September 1538, giving papal sanction to a crusade on English shores. Cromwell, now Henry's chief minister, saw this as a sign to cozy up to other non-Catholic princes in Europe. 
Thus, England joined the League of Schmalkton in 1539, an alliance between Protestants in the Holy Roman Empire, and Henry was married to the Protestant Anne of Cleves. This shift in foreign policy did not go well for Henry, who detested Anne, or Cromwell, who ended up dead. The late 1530s and early 1540s saw the brief Franco-Spanish rapprochement fizzle away. England thus could afford to drift back into war with Scotland and France in 1542. In October, an invasion headed by the Duke of Norfolk crossed into Scotland but made little headway, until in November, where on the 24th the English won the Battle of Solway Moss, 3,000 English defeating 10,000 Scots. This shocked Scotland so much that the King, James V, died a month later. The throne of Scotland was now occupied by six-day-old Mary, who presented an opportunity to Henry. In July 1543, the Treaty of Greenwich was forced onto Scotland, which promised a personal union between England and Scotland via the marriage between Mary and Henry's heir, Edward. However, the Scottish Parliament refused to ratify the treaty, and the Anglophile faction fell apart, seeing French ally Cardinal Beaton come into power, who crowned the infant Mary. The rest of the 1540s saw the raising of Scottish castles and land by the Earl of Hertford. The ultimate impact of what came to be known as the Rough Ruin was, at least in the short term, putting Scotland closer to France. However, ultimately, it was true that England and Scotland would eventually come as one at the end of the century. Meanwhile, England was at war with Scotland's old ally of France. In 1544, England and Spain made an agreement to invade France jointly, promising a commitment of 35,000 foot soldiers and 7,000 cavalry each. In July 1544, the invasion began and Henry captured the town of Boulogne and laid siege to Montreux. Once again, however, help from Charles was non-existent as France and Charles signed the Peace of Crepy. Freed up, France then sent troops and a naval raid to England. In this raid, the Isle of Wight was attacked, but the invasion repulsed, and Henry's flagship, the Mary Rose, was sunk. Eventually, it became clear that the war was going nowhere, and in 1546, the Treaty of Ardor was signed, putting an end to the conflict. All in all, Henry's foreign policy was a complete mix of success, failure, mistake and letdowns. This evidenced the fact that really Henry was a passenger to events. All in all, Henry managed to complete a few of his goals, in particular securing the dynasty with his son, Edward. However, Henry's successes were very limited in other fields, especially with his pursuit of honour and glory and dream of conquest in France. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Helpful Hand in History. I really hope you enjoyed it. I'm off to walk my dog, and I will see you later. A quick note before you go. This episode is sponsored by Buzz Cut Clothing. Henry VIII loved to be well-dressed, and I'm sure if he lived in this day and age, he would be constantly clad in his Buzz Cut Clothing. To learn more, visit www.buzzcut.online for more information about this terrific brand. Otherwise... I'll see you later.